want to welcome all of you across our network as we continue in our what-if journey through the book of Philippians. It's been great for me and my family to be back in the Quad Cities after some much-needed time away on vacation, and I hope that you and your family and friends have been able to connect this summer as well. I, I don't know about your family, but in my family, we love to travel. And anytime I go anywhere, whether I'm with my family or not, I love to find gifts and souvenirs for my boys that continue to foster their warrior hearts. The scripture says that our Lord is a warrior, and so swords and military paraphernalia, that's where it's at for me. And it was a couple of years ago that I was overseas, and I was looking in a shop for some souvenirs for my boys, and I was looking at some daggers, and these decorative daggers were kind of cheap and cheesy, and so I was heading out of the store when the owner of the store called me back in and asked me to go into the back with him. And when I walked in the back, he pulled out this beautiful decorative dagger. It was handmade. The scabbard was carved out of wood, and, and inlaid into it was mother of pearl with brass accents. And the, the, the blade itself was hand-etched. It was a beautiful piece, and he actually had two of them that were very similar. But the price was way too high. So I thanked him for showing me, and I gave it back to him, and I started to walk out of the store. But, but the funny thing was, the closer I got to the door, the price dropped lower and lower. <laughs> Until I got to the door, and he said, two for one, and I said, sold. And so I was able to get two of these beautiful daggers, decorative daggers for my boys. This is Joshua's, and Daniel has one very similar. Just a, just a great souvenir for me as a dad to proudly give to my boys to continue to encourage them in their warrior spirits to live as warriors for the Lord. And so I packed it up. I headed out of the store, and about 10 minutes later, a few blocks away, I looked in the window of another shop, and guess what I saw? Four more of these. Yeah, it wasn't as rare and unique as I thought. Now, these were a little bit nicer, a little bit bigger, but the guy did get me just a little bit. Now, I share that with you because I think sometimes we place high value on things only to find out later they're really not that valuable. It was just a few weeks ago, we were in Dublin, and we were in a very eclectic shop. It had all kinds of really weird and interesting, unique things. And in one of the glass cabinets was a set of chess pieces. They were red and white, and they looked like they were made of plastic or resin, but they were really kind of like weird caricatures, and I couldn't see a price tag, and, and so I thought maybe I'd spend 30 40 $50 for a really cool chess set, and so I asked the lady to show me the pieces, and when she pulled them out and started to hand them to me, I could very quickly see the intricate detail on them, and she started to describe them to me. They were unique, antique, hand-carved ivory, the white pieces represented the king of England and the English, and the red pieces represented the emperor of China and the Chinese, and they were very rare. So I wasn't as surprised when she put the more than $2,000 price tag on those pieces. I very gently handed it back to her and thanked her and went about my business. Sometimes we place very little value on things that actually have high value. It's been said that something is worth whatever we're willing to pay for it. Ever heard that? But that's the price. That's not necessarily the same thing as its value. Value is more mixed. It involves supply and demand. It involves the facts of the item, but it also involves the heart. And I would argue that the heart leads the conversation when it comes to value. And whether you agree with me or not, we all know that we value what we prioritize, and we prioritize what we value. That's your first fill-in in the note guide if you're tracking along with that today. We value what we prioritize, and we prioritize what we, what? Value. 
We do it all the time. We seek and maintain and pursue the things we value, and that can define a lot in our life. But what matters most is not always what we value most. We don't always value the most important things. And we're going to see today as we dig back into the book of Philippians that Paul had a very similar revelation. And he shares that in this personal letter that he's writing to his friends in Philippi. You may recall that Philippi was a city located in the Roman province of Macedonia, modern-day Greece. It was a prominent leading city. It was a gold mining area, and it was a crossroads between Europe and Asia. And it was the location of the very first church plant in Europe through Paul's ministry. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and click and turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're in the New Testament, so you've got First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. If you hit Colossians, you're too far. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. And again, this is a personal letter written to the believers in Philippi. While Paul is actually in prison in Rome. He, he's chained to a Roman guard in his own rented house for a two-year period where he's able to share the gospel with everybody who's come through the door. And over the last few weeks, we as a church have been looking specifically really at the implications of one verse. It's Philippians chapter 1 verse 27, and this is what it says. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. This statement frames the ensuing next two chapters. But it's a little bit tricky to translate into English. Because this word conduct right here is a political term. It comes from the Greek word polytuo, which is where we get the word politics. And as tricky as it is to translate, I believe the New Living Translation most effectively captures the literal translation of this passage. And here's what is written in that translation. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. The citizenship, that call to citizenship, was a call not to individual action, but a call to a duty to a group, to a body. And since Philippi was a Roman colony, the Philippian believers would have understood this nuance. See, to be a Roman citizen was a special thing. It had significant rights. And the Romans lived very differently than other people. And so should we, those who follow Jesus. In our conduct, in our behavior, we should reflect the gospel. Jesus died for us, so we should live for him. So what I want to do is I want to look at how we actually do that as we dig back into Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to read through this, and then we're going to walk back through kind of verse by verse. And I'm not going to show the scriptures on the screen here. They are in your note guide, all scattered throughout. I encourage you to follow along in your own Bible or just to listen. But as you do that, I want to encourage you to observe, interpret, and apply. And there's notes inside the note guide for you to just write things that God's speaking to you through His Spirit as we read the scripture, to underline and highlight. I encourage you to do that as we read through the scripture passage today. So here we go. We're in Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 1. I'm actually going to run this into verse 7, which is where we'll pick up next week as well. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, 
If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Now, just prior to this passage, Paul's talking about humility, selfless service, shining as stars, and now he moves the focus to the issue of confidence, where we place confidence, what, what we value. And I want to pose a what-if question that really forms a foundation for the rest of our time here today. Here it is. What if we cared about what mattered most? What if we cared about what mattered most? What mattered what? Most. See, we value what we prioritize, and we prioritize what we value. What if the standard by which we measured value or valued things was just like Paul, simply Jesus? Let's go back and look at this line by line through the passage we just read. Back to verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Now, in some translations, it starts with finally. And the word further or finally really is translating from the, from the set of words, as for the rest. It's not an ending, it's a transition. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. He, he again calls people to rejoicing because to live in a context of joy is one way that we live a life worthy of the calling, that we will live a life worthy of the gospel. Not based in circumstances, or situations, but based in the Lord who works all things for the good of those who love him. He's calling them back to rejoice. And he says, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard to you. Look, he's saying, I don't mind repeating my words, because it's for your good, it's for your safety. And, and, and in this context, it's, it's not the idea of he's saying, look, how many times do I have to tell you? <laughs> Ever heard that before? Ever said that to your kids? Yeah, that's not the tone at all. It's more the sense of, I will keep telling you because I care. And whether he told them in person before or in another letter, we don't know. But it is his commitment for their good that he tells them again. And then he goes on into verse 2 to say, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, and those mutilators of the flesh. Three really harsh descriptors. But he's not being mean. He's being clear. Because the stakes are very high. And the church in Philippi had been exposed to some bad or false teaching. And Paul's trying to realign the Philippian believers to truth. And so he goes on to say this in verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit. We who boast in Christ Jesus. And who put no confidence. Not, not little confidence. Or some confidence. Or limited confidence. No confidence in the flesh though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Because there were some who were promoting the idea that in order to be a Christian, a person had to first become a Jew, Paul is recalibrating and realigning the conversation, and he clarifies that that's simply not true. Instead, that we, we worship or serve God by his Spirit. Therefore, we boast in Jesus Christ alone and not ourselves or anything else, and we put no confidence in ourselves. No confidence in flesh. Paul's trying to realign the thinking of the Philippian believers back to truth. And in some sense, he's saying, be careful what you place value on. Be careful what you place value on. 
Worship God, follow Christ, and live depending on Him and not yourself. He's challenging that false teaching, but He's also calling them to more. He's calling them to put their confidence in Christ alone because there is no confidence in the law, there is no confidence in flesh, there is no confidence in human ability. Value is in Christ and Him alone. But sadly, what matters most is not always what we value most. I think too often we try to be a people who attain success rather than seek to add value. We try to succeed and achieve rather than serve and add value. And honestly, I think we can place some pretty high value on stuff that may not be as valuable as we think, that even doesn't even matter. It could be perhaps owning a certain car with all the bells and whistles. You want it, you finally got it, but now you spend all of your time, energy, and effort trying to maintain it and clean it and keep it pristine. It could be that maybe current fashion drives you, and so you're constantly shopping and you're spending money, always trying to stay up with fashion. It could be maybe it's a TV show that you're committed to seeing and you don't want to miss an episode, and so you just structure your entire life around catching that show. For me, there was a time that running was that issue for me. Getting in my workout was more important to me than spending time in my devotions that day. And God had to lead me into a process of brokenness to break me back out into not putting confidence in flesh, but putting confidence in Him. Look, I'm not, I'm not saying you can't have nice cars or nice clothes or be committed to fitness or even running specifically. They can be fine, but they have to keep their place. The first thing has to be first. And that should be Jesus above all things. Someone once said that many people know the price of everything but the value of nothing. Ever heard that? <laughs> know, the value, know the price of everything but the value of nothing. I think they're right. I also think the longest running TV game show in the U.S. proves it. You know what that was? Price is right. Yeah, that's right. Come on down if you said it. No, don't. Just stay there. Okay. I think that game show proves that we know the price of everything but the value of nothing. And here's the problem. I think too often we reduce the value of something to how it helps us or how little it costs us. We reduce the value to how much it helps us or how little it costs us. We could say it this way. Too often value is reduced to what benefits us. We reduce the definition and understanding of value to what benefits us. We value what's valuable only to us, what benefits us. And we can even reduce the value of people to what they do for us. Have that perspective of what's in it for me. And we live in a culture where, where we're only valued as long as we're valuable. You ever felt that? You ever felt like a commodity in this world? <laughs> but we live small lives when we only value what benefits us. And Christ followers are called to live above that. And Philippians 2 even pushed against that where we're to consider others better than ourselves, not look only to our, our interests, but to the interests of others. We're created to give ourselves away, and the kingdom of God is much bigger than us. What if we cared about what mattered most? You know, we all know that there are things that vie for our loyalty, attention, and resources, but, but I wonder where you look for confidence. Is it in your own self-accomplishments? Is it in others? Is it in your work or employment? 
You may or may not be a confident person, but Paul says that there is no confidence in flesh, no confidence in human effort, in impressive credentials. It's in Jesus Christ. Even Jesus himself said in John 15, 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? You can do what? Nothing. He didn't say some things. He said nothing. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing of great value or worth. In Christ, we can have great confidence, but apart from him, we can't. We, we can do nothing. Not a zip, zero, zilch. Some of you know that I have in my office a picture of a turtle on a fence post. And, and the reason I have that is one day I caught the turtle, put it on a post, took the picture, and I've kept it in my office space for more than a decade because I once heard James Dobson say, that when you see a turtle on a fence post, you know they didn't get there on their own. Amen? <laughs> that dude did not get there on his own. I helped him get there. Then I let him go free. He was fine. I keep that in my office space to constantly remind me that I am nothing but a turtle on a fence post. I have nothing and I am nothing apart from Christ. Who I am, what I do, only by his grace. I am nothing but a turtle on a fence post. We have nothing apart from him. And, and that can sound a little bit doom and gloom, but we can do nothing of any great worth or value apart from Jesus. And it's not a downer, because Paul's getting ready to describe in the very next chapter, chapter 4, that, that, that God gives strength for anything we face. Any, any loss, any hardship, difficulty, even opportunities. He says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's the reality. But in here, in verse 4 of chapter 3, he's talking about the temptation to rely on self. Look back with me. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Do you have reasons to put confidence in the flesh? Look, if you think you have reasons, there's two things you need to understand. First is, someone else always has more. Someone else always has more. I'm not talking about more stuff and more benefits, although that can be true. I'm talking about someone else always has more pain, more loss, more hardship, more difficulty. Stop the pity party. Someone else always has more. Beyond that, reasons are not enough. Reasons aren't inherently right or good. When we have reasons, we say, you know what? My desire for that thing is more than their desire, so I should have it. You know, they got this, so I should have this. I need my fair shake. When we, when we think we have reasons, most often reasons are at best justifications and more likely just simply excuses. Reasons are not enough. Paul had reasons. He had a ton of reasons. He, he, he could say, I, did, I, did, I don't deserve the difficulty I'm in. I don't deserve to be in prison. I have been faithful. But he didn't. The temptation, I think, that we have is is that when we think we have enough reason to justify the action that we want to pursue, then we think reason is enough. But reasons become justifications, and justifications become excuses. And they're just excuses to do it our way. And every time we do that, we move authority. And Jesus is no longer Lord. Paul didn't give in to the justification that leads to an excuse. He didn't put confidence in the flesh, even though he could have. He could have. He had heritage, he had a lineage, he even had religious teaching. Look at what he goes on to say, continuing the latter part of verse 4. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, 
a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. There's another list that we looked at for Paul back in the beginning of our series. It was in Corinthians, and it was a list about being shipwrecked and beaten. You remember that? This is a very different list. This is a list of his lineage, if you would. He's describing, look, I've circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's, he's talking about, he's from the elite tribe of Benjamin, which was distinguished for, for being the tribe that provided the first king of Israel, Saul. It was also a tribe that when the kingdom divided, it aligned with Judah, and Judah was faithful, and the rest of the other ten tribes were not. And so Judah and Benjamin were known for faithfulness. He was out of that tribe. It's distinguished him as an individual. But then Paul actually goes on to describe three other things that are more by choice because these first three things are, are really things he received. And those next three things by choice, he describes that he is ultimately a person of zeal, persecuting the church. He followed the law as a Pharisee. He was righteous to a, to a faultlessness. That's faultless, faultless to man's standard, not God's. And he's not boasting here. He's talking about who he was and, and where he could put confidence in flesh. And, and Paul was from an elite group known for their careful devotion to God. They were the Pharisees. In fact, there was really never more than 6,000 Pharisees at a time. And, and even their name sets themselves apart. They were the separated ones. That's what Pharisee means. And, and Paul was passionate and successful and respected and accomplished. He had reasons to put confidence in the flesh, but he didn't. He didn't. But I wonder if you were to identify your life credentials like Paul, what could you list? What are the things that would tempt you to put confidence in the flesh? It was a few years ago that I came across a company called Skin It. And what they do is you, you send them pictures or a picture and they, they make a material that you can put on the back of your computer or on the back of your phone. You can personalize your devices. I thought it was pretty cool. And so I started to think through how would I capture my life journey and put it on a Skin It? How could I just simply capture the nuances of my journey and do that? And so here's what I came up with, a very simple way to describe my life. Well, that's probably not so simple, is it? <laughs> but I was trying to segment the pieces of my life. And so let me just walk down through. We'll kind of start up here and we'll go clockwise. And so here's a section about my law enforcement journey, my military journey. These would be things that I could put confidence in the flesh in. If we keep rotating around, like this would represent my love for endurance sports and being a triathlete. We keep cycling down to the bottom. We're Steeler fans as a family. We like to travel, even to scoot over to the far side. Uh, one of my hobbies is scuba diving. And, and this, these pictures kind of capture just sections of my life. And, and they would be things that people could, 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 could put confidence in. And for me, I did that for years. Th that I would do things well enough to earn something. That I could accomplish something so that I would have value. Until God started to refine me through brokenness. See, what the skin it doesn't show would be the seasons of loss and pain and tragedy in my life that God has used to shift my confidence in flesh to confidence in Him. What the skin it doesn't show are the days that, that I was tempted to give reasons as justification, to be excuses, to do what I wanted to do. And every time I got in those spaces, God was gracious enough to say, Sean, I understand your pain. Sean, I understand the injustice of that. But that will never justify sin. You're to follow me. 
And so today I stand here before you knowing today better than yesterday that there's nothing more important than Jesus. I know this week better than last week that there is nothing that matters more than Jesus. And I know this year better than last year that there's nothing more important than Christ. What if we cared about what mattered most? See, I I still have to make a daily decision. It it is a daily battle to stay in that posture I just described to you. I once thought these things were valuable. They have value. My family's represented on there. They have value, but they're just not the most valuable thing. These things are nothing compared to Christ. I wonder what about you? What have you counted as gain or advantage? What accomplishment or achievement are you tempted to put confidence in? Things that you'd put on a skin it. We, we may have reasons to put confidence in flesh. Or there may be enough pain and hardship in your life that you just no longer trust anyone. And that's your reason that becomes justification for the excuse to only trust yourself. I got to tell you, reason will never be a savior. Reason is not even inherently right or good. At best, it'll just be justification. More likely, just excuses. And often driven by flesh. What gives you reason for confidence? You know, we put confidence in flesh every time we start out our day without acknowledging God in prayer. We put confidence in our flesh every time we go through a day or a week without spending time alone with God or in his word. And we put confidence in flesh every time we make important decisions without consulting or asking him. That confidence in flesh is even a little more tricky in that it's not just confidence in us, it's actually placing confidence in others. Trusting mankind. I'm not talking about distrust, I'm talking about misplaced trust. And we're in a season now in our country where many people are just trusting in earthly kingdoms, in earthly powers. There's a trust and a looking to government to do something that in reality it can never be or do. And if you're doing any of that in placing confidence in things other than Christ, placing confidence in wrong things, listen, you're living in a way that Jesus is not your Lord. And you need to realign your values. Paul talked about that transition for him in in verse 7 and rolls into verse 8. Here's what he said. But Christ has shown me that what I once thought was valuable is worthless. Nothing is as wonderful as knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. All things lost, the good, the bad, the hard, the easy, the losses and the gains. Christ has shown me that what I once thought was valuable was not as valuable as I thought. Paul uses some pretty strong language here to talk about what is worthless. Some translations say rubbish. There's really only two uses of that word, and one is the word for the excrement from body, and the other is table scraps that were fit only for dogs. I'm pretty sure Paul would be okay with either translation. (laughs) But it wasn't so much that those things were worthless in themselves, 
but compared to the greatness and the excellence and knowledge of Christ, they really were. They were nothing. Nothing is as wonderful as knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. And if you know him as Lord in the sense that you have prayed a prayer asking Jesus to take authority in your life, you have some sense of what it means to know him as Lord. But if you're spiritually unresolved today, you've not had that conversation with God where you have allowed Jesus to take the junk out of your life and become king in your life, sit on the throne of your life. Today is a day that you can. See, whatever you have faced today, whatever you lost yesterday, or whatever you need tomorrow, nothing compares to knowing Christ as Lord. And if you've not made the decision for Jesus to have lordship in your life, on the back of the note guide are three steps in a simple prayer that you can take that step. And you can move from spiritual death to spiritual life. And I encourage you to do that. And if you find yourself as someone here today who, who you've acknowledged Jesus as the Lord, but somewhere along the way you shifted value, you moved authority, and, and maybe today is an opportunity after that wandering for you to just recommit to realign and say nothing is more important than Jesus. I encourage you to do that today. It changes everything. In fact, I want to celebrate with you that this past week we wrapped up our second week of Spring Hill Camp. We had 187 children in those two weeks, and of the 187, 80 of them made decisions for Jesus. 80. Absolutely. Thank you for those who prayed and supported that investment to see more people step into the kingdom to continue to be disciples who make disciples. Those kids are in the journey of knowing that, that what they can considered valuable actually isn't as valuable, that nothing is as wonderful as knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. And so can we. Let's go to so what and wrap this up. You know, one of the things as I look at this passage, I'm like, okay, how did Paul shift his values? How did he no longer care and value the things that he once did the way he did? And you might say, well, he found something better. And yeah, that's true. But he didn't just find it. He valued it. He embraced it. Many of us will believe in Jesus, believe that he existed, believed he did these things. But we've got to move from belief to actually into embracing and living in a way where there is nothing more important than him in our life. And Paul did that. He embraced a new standard, new values, and a new season of life. And he gladly sacrificed everything and counted those things lost in this world compared to the things of Christ. It was no longer about him. It changed his posture. He, he no, it was no longer about a resume or accomplishments. He, he placed himself at the bottom, and he went from climbing on people to achieve to lifting up others so they can experience. And that's what enabled him to endure shipwrecks and beatings and persecution so that others may, not, may know Jesus. What if the standard by which we measured and valued things was Jesus and him alone? What if we cared about what really matters? Or better yet, what if we cared about the cause of Christ most? The cause of Christ most. I think too many people place value on being right on being heard, treated a certain way, even place value on their comfort. But to live for Christ is about his kingdom and not our comfort. To care about the cause of Christ means we care about what he cares about, but we don't always care for the least, the last, and lost like he does. We don't always choose sacrifice and suffering over prominence and gain, yet we're made to live the way he wants us to live. 
And that even takes me back to a quote from earlier in our series from C.S. Lewis where he said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We're made for another world, and that world is one where, where Christ sits on the throne. He has authority. What if we cared about the cause of Christ most? What if we let go of nice things that don't really matter? What if we sought to be with people rather than to be better than people? What if no matter what we faced, our family dynamics, our workplace environment, politics, what if no matter what we faced, we knew nothing compared to Christ? We all know that the economic and political challenges we face today are hard and complex. But they provide an opportunity as well for us to look at what really matters, what we really need, and nothing is better than Christ. Count it all loss. In the words of the psalmist who said this, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Better is one day. Here's another passage a little bit later in the Psalms. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. In Christ, we live for a worthy cause worth any cost. Nothing is better than Christ. But we have to choose to follow him to have that relationship and that equipping and that strength to live each day no matter the circumstances. So choose the things of God over the things of this world. What if you cared about the cause of Christ most? Choose him. Shift your values. Perhaps this, this week, you're going to give up one thing that you really don't need. It really doesn't matter. Maybe it's an argument that you've been having in your family. that You just need to let that go. Maybe it's a hobby, a time commitment, or even a personal possession. To let that go. Because that thing has been a reason that's turned into a justification that's led to an excuse. But I once thought these things were valuable. Now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Paul did not choose to commend himself, but to constantly commend Christ and to lift him. Whenever we commend ourselves, it doesn't count for much. But when we lift high the name of Jesus, that's a very different story. Because nothing is as wonderful as knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want to leave you with a passage out of Psalm, another passage out of the Psalms, and it's a prayer, and I want to pray it for us, but also encourage you to maybe pray it this week in your own time with the Lord. It says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Heavenly Father, I, I want to continue that prayer out of the Psalms right now, Father. Lord, I, we want to recognize your power and your glory. I thank you that even when we have not had eyes to see and ears to hear, you have continued to pursue us. Lord, when we have placed value on things that really aren't that valuable, or when we have devalued things that actually are. God, would you forgive us for that? Would you forgive me for that? Lord, I want my heart to align with yours. I want us as a church to, to care about the things you care about and to pursue the things you pursue. But Lord, it is so easy to get distracted. 
And it's so easy to put confidence in the things that we can control and confidence in the flesh. And I pray, Father, that you would forgive us for when we have done that. You would help us to put confidence only in Christ. That we consider nothing worth knowing Him. That we would be stewards of the time and talent and treasure you give us and, and the opportunities and all the things that we experience in this life, but we keep them at the level you want. That we would keep Christ first and foremost. So, Father, as we step back into worship, even step into time of communion, remembering the sacrifice of your Son, may, may we sit in a posture where we care about the things that he cares about. May we care about the cause of Christ most. And may you be able to accomplish your purpose and plan through us. I pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.